Welcome back to our study of the book of Philippians. We focused on a short passage last time, Philippians 4, 2, and 3, and talked about what to do when Christians disagree. We're going to focus on an even shorter passage this time, just one verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, maybe one of the most famous verses in the book of Philippians, and also one that can be easily misunderstood and misapplied. So we're going to take our time on it. Philippians 4, 4 says simply this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, we've pointed this out uh, more than once along this journey through the book of Philippians, and it's worth pointing out again right here. Paul is writing these words from prison. He is in prison, and yet he is telling the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. So what would cause Paul to have joy, to be able to rejoice, even while he's in prison. And it's not just in this verse that he says this. He said it back in chapter 3, verse 1. He reminded the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. It's a theme that runs throughout this epistle so that uh, some people have even called the book of Philippians the epistle of joy or the letter of joy. So how can Paul be so joyful while he's in prison? How can we be joyful when we're in difficult circumstances? And what does that look like practically? Well, one of the reasons Paul is joyful is because the gospel is spreading. Remember back in chapter 1, he talked about how even though he was in prison, his imprisonment had not hindered the spread of the gospel. It was actually serving to advance the gospel. And that brings Paul joy. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 18, he talks about the fact that even though uh, some of the people who are preaching the gospel are preaching from bad motives, Paul's just happy that they're preaching the gospel to people. So he's rejoicing because the gospel is preached, even though he's limited in the people that he can preach to while he's there in prison. Um, he has reason to be joyful because he has partners in the gospel, even though he's uh, been imprisoned, which, um, of course, in that culture, as in, in most cultures, that feels like to most people a very shameful thing that people want to distance themselves from. Even though Paul has been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, for his faith in Christ, that's still something that a lot of people would want to uh, stay away from, distance themselves from somebody who's in prison. But the Philippians did not distance themselves from Paul. Uh, they loved him. They sent Epaphroditus to bring a gift to him. They had been partners with Paul in the past, and they continue to be partners with Paul in the present of this letter. Um, and Paul is joyful for their continuing partnership in, in the gospel. He rejoices because of that. Another reason he has to be joyful, he's just said at the end of chapter 3 that he, along with other believers, is waiting for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, from heaven. And when he returns, he's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So even though he's in prison, he has something to look forward to, something to be joyful about because of what is about to happen. And for us uh, who are Christians... Even in the hardest circumstances, even in seasons of darkness and grief and sadness and heartache, we have uh, things that ought to bring us joy as well. If you're a Christian, that means you are loved by God. It means your sins are forgiven. It means the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. That means God is at work in you. 
The Bible says if you're a Christian, you are a new creation. And like Paul, we too are waiting for the return of Christ, waiting for the day when we will be raised from the dead. We'll see him face to face. We'll be made as perfectly like him as is possible to be. And we'll dwell with him in a new creation forever. All of those things ought to bring us joy and our reasons for us to rejoice. But that does not mean, and this verse does not mean, when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. That does not mean that Christians should never be sad or discouraged or sorrowful or disheartened or downhearted. It does not mean that you are sinning if you are sad. It does not mean that you are always required to be cheerful and happy. Now, how do I know that? I mean, Paul just said, rejoice in the Lord always. Doesn't that mean that we're always supposed to be outwardly happy and cheerful? No, it doesn't mean that. How do we know that? Well, the same Paul who said, rejoice in the Lord always, also said in Romans chapter 9, verse 2, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. The reason for that, of course, was that uh, many of his kinsmen, according to the flesh, many of the Jews did not believe in Jesus the Messiah. And Paul says that caused him unceasing anguish. He had deep sorrow in his heart because of that. Should we say to Paul, Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't be sorrowful. Don't, Don't be anxious. Don't be grieved. No, of course it's okay and even right for him to be sorrowful and grieved over the lost conditions of his Jewish kinsmen. Rejoice in the Lord always does not mean you can't also be sorrowful. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he said, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now listen to this. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul was so burdened, he... he thought he was going to die. In the Psalms, so it's not just Paul, in the Psalms, we often read words expressing discouragement and lament, like this one from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Or Psalm 10, verse 1, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? What we have to be careful to do we think about all those verses, we think about Philippians 4.4, 4, we think about Paul's sorrow in Romans 9, we think about Paul's burden and despair in 2 Corinthians 1, we think about the Psalms asking how long, where are you? What we must not do is take one set of verses and cancel out the other set of verses. This is a temptation in all kinds of areas where... Uh, We want to take one group of verses that sound like they say one thing and another group of verses that sound like they don't fit with the other group and we want to pick one and use that one to cancel out the other set of verses. That's not what we're supposed to do. What we need to do is think about and pray and ask the Lord to help us see how all of those verses 
can fit together because all of the Bible is true. We don't get to pick and choose which parts we think make the most sense and then use those to rule out other parts. The whole Bible is God's Word. The whole Bible is true. So how do we take all of the Bible's teaching about our emotions, about joy and sorrow, about um, you know, rejoicing and grief. How, how do we take all of those together and fit them together? Here are a couple things that we learned just, just off the top, right? Number one is that the Bible encourages us to be honest about our emotions of despair and anguish. Paul, Paul does not write Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always, in order to cancel out or brush away legitimate feelings of sorrow and anguish and despair. And we know that because Paul expresses his own sorrow and anguish and despair elsewhere. And the Psalms, which are given to us in part to teach us to pray, to teach us how to communicate with God, the Psalms are honest about the brokenness and difficulty and pain and discomfort of life in this fallen and broken world. But the second thing is, the Bible does not encourage us to stay there. It does not encourage us to stay in our sorrow, in our despair, in our discouragement. Instead, the Bible encourages us to move from despair to hope as we turn our attention from our circumstances to God and his promises. So let me show you how the Bible does that. How does the Bible encourage us not to stay in our sorrow and despair and anguish and grief, but instead to uh, move toward hope and joy as we focus on God and his promises instead of focusing on the circumstances that bring us uh, sorrow in the first place. So a few examples. All right, Romans 9.2, where Paul says, I have you know, great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. That begins a section of Romans from chapter 9 to chapter 10 to chapter 11, where Paul unfolds God's dealings with and plans for the Jews, as well as the Gentiles, but a lot of emphasis on the Jews. And that section of Scripture, Romans 9 to 11, that began with Paul's great sorrow ends with these words. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul didn't stay in that sorrow. The sorrow didn't go away, but the sorrow is not dominant. It doesn't keep Paul from being able to rejoice at the same time in the wisdom and mercy and knowledge and greatness and glory of God as Paul considers the great plan that God has prepared and is unfolding for the benefit of of the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Right here, here's another example. In 2 Corinthians 1, we said Paul told the people that he uh, you know, was so burdened he despaired of life itself. Well, that passage doesn't stop there. Paul says, uh, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So he, he thought he was going to die. He felt like he was going to die. But, he says, 
That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. So Paul says the reason God let us get to that place of despair, where we thought we were going to die, was so that we would turn toward God and rely on Him because God is the one who can raise the dead. And He delivered us from that distress that we were in. And now, Paul is not sort of wallowing in a hopeless despair of, you know, I almost died, but I didn't, thankfully, but, you know, that could happen to me again. And, and, and what's the point of living if I'm just going to die? No, he says... Now, he says, we have, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So, I'm not convinced that I'm not going to find myself once again in a place of despair and near death. But I am persuaded that God is able to deliver me and that he will deliver me. And Paul can say that not because he thinks he's never going to die but because God is the God who raises the dead. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, all who belong to Jesus know that death will not have the last word for them, but at Christ's return, they will be raised from the dead to experience eternal bodily life in the presence of God forever. That's where his hope is. All right, what about the Psalm? Psalm 13 began, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? But by the end of the Psalm, we find these words, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So it starts with this anguish, this longing, this hard question. God, how long? Feels like you have forgotten me. How long is that going to last? Will you forget me forever? But by the end, he says, God has dealt bountifully with me. I trust the Lord. I've trusted in his steadfast love. And he's turned from his circumstances to God and his promises and his character and his faithfulness. One more, Psalm 10, which began, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So things are bad. It's not going the way that it's supposed to. And God, you don't seem to be showing up. Where are you? That psalm ends with these words. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. In other words, at the beginning of the psalm, it feels like God is far away. But by the end of the psalm, the psalmist is reminding himself that God is not far away, that God will act, that God will deliver those who are being oppressed, that he will stand up for those who are needy and weak and vulnerable. God is not distant and disinterested, but he is faithful and he is good. So when we are gripped by sorrow or grief or despair or sadness, what do we do? Well, we need to turn our attention from our circumstances to the Lord, to his promises, to his faithfulness in the past, to the promises about what he's going to do in the future. 
right? Now, how do, we, how do we apply all this practically? Okay, that's the basic idea. How do we apply this practically? Okay, number one, remember that we always have reason to rejoice in the Lord, but joy may not always be the emotion nearest to the surface or the emotion that we are feeling most deeply. And that is okay. Paul still had reason to rejoice in the Lord even when he said, I have unceasing sorrow and great and, and deep anguish in my heart. He didn't cease having reason to rejoice. And in one sense, we can say Paul still had great joy in the Lord even while he was experiencing that sorrow and anguish. But that joy is not always going to be the emotion that's nearest to the surface. Sometimes what's going to come to the surface is the grief over the hardship in our current circumstances. So that's the first thing. We, we need to remember we have reason to rejoice in the Lord, but it's okay if our joy is not always the dominant emotion. Number two, it is not wrong to feel troubled, discouraged, sorrowful, sad, or burdened. We live in a broken world. It is not a sin to be sad. It's not wrong to be sorrowful. That is part of being human in a broken world. Number three, we see that all over the Bible, right? We've seen a few examples. I mean, you, could, you can find that all over the Bible. Number three, if the trials and troubles of the world are getting you down, that's okay, but don't stay there. It's not healthy and it's not helpful. All right now, there's no way to put a time frame on this, right? If you say, okay, well, I'm not supposed to stay there. I'm not supposed to stay in my sorrow and sadness. How long is it okay to stay in that sorrow and sadness? Well, you can't really put a time frame on that because every situation is different. Every person is different. Right? A depressing news story is probably not going or is not going to distress you and grieve you for the same length of time as the loss of a loved one is. So part of what makes it hard to answer that question of how long is it okay to be sad is um, it depends on the situation. It depends on what it is that's making you sad. Right? And it may also depend on your personality. Some people are more inclined towards sadness than others. Some people get over sadness quicker than others. Not everybody's the same on this. So no one can say precisely how long it's appropriate to be down. Right? Circumstances differ, people differ. So you gotta make allowance for that. But the key thing is don't stay there. Don't stay in your sorrow and sadness. Right? So how do we get out of it? Number four, how do we move toward joy? Follow the pattern of Paul and the Psalms. Look to the Lord, look to his word, focus on his promises, remember what he has done for you and for others in the past, focus on what he has promised to do in the future, and let those promises, let those truths be what weighs most heavily with you. Focus more on those than on your circumstances. I'm not saying that's easy to do, but that is the way out. All right, number five, remember that circumstances change and our emotions often change with them, but the Lord does not change. Right, so if you wait for your circumstances to change in order for your emotions to change, you might be waiting a long time. 
might happen quickly, might be very, very slow. But if we turn our attention to the Lord, we find in Him an unchanging source of hope and joy. You might be in a long season of circumstances that are hard and sad, but even in the midst of those, God has loved you, forgiven you, God's Spirit dwells in you. God invites you to call Him Father. He encourages you to come boldly before His throne in prayer. He has called you His child. If you're a Christian, all these things are true of you regardless of your circumstances. Don't forget them even when your circumstances are bleak and hard. Remember that the Lord doesn't change. His promises don't change. And then finally, what, what if you're trying to help a friend, a friend who's sad, a friend who's grieving, a friend who's downhearted? Don't try to wipe away their sadness with a verse like rejoice in the Lord. It's, it's probably not going to work. It, it, it's probably not going to work if you just say, hey, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, so why are you being sad? They're probably not going to go, oh, I don't know, why am I being sad? It's probably not going to work like that. That's, that's typically not how people work. Right? Instead, do what Paul says to do. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep in Romans 12. Right, so first, join your friend in their sorrow. Sympathize with them. Right, weep with those who weep. And then point them to our unchanging God and His Word. Now you have to do that with wisdom, discernment, patience, love, kindness, all the rest. I can't tell you the timing, the manner, the way, all the rest of that. Pray. James 1.5 says, if anyone, asks, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Ask God to guide you, give you wisdom, help you know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and to let all your words and actions be guided by love. All right, but the main thing is, remember, we always have reason to rejoice. That doesn't mean it's wrong to ever be sad, but it does mean even in our sadness, if we'll look to the Lord and look to His promises and look to His Word, we have abundant reminders and abundant reason to rejoice. Amen.